0: Apparently I beat my chest. This is something I do, right? I guess that's my thing. So, um, <laughs> oh man. It's, uh, um, doing the stand thing today. Bear with me because I, uh, I like the simplicity of it. So it's a beautiful day in the Ozarks, right? I don't know if this is, do we call Ozarks up here? Is this our thing? I'm from Springfield, Spring Vegas, right? And, uh, and so everything down there is the Ozarks. And uh, so I like on days like this in the fall to remind all of you that we're posting on Facebook and complaining, wanting your cozy sweaters and your pretty leaves and all the smells of fall and pumpkin, this is what you get. This is what you hoped for, wet, soggy, cold weather. You wanted it. You've got it. And my wife loves it. She's all cozy. I am just in despair for the next four months. After hunting season, after all the leaves fall, it's just sogginess. So if I sound angsty or tense, it's because it's cold and soggy and I despise it. But, I'm just kidding, but uh, I, I have to call it out because I think it's funny how we fall in love with fall, but it's, uh, it's not real. It only lasts for a week or so, and then Fisher Farm shuts down, and we have soggy weather. But anyway, we've been going through uh, First John, and if you have missed that, um, you know, we've been talking about Jesus is king, and we worship him, and uh, we looked at what his kingdom is. We spent a whole month doing that. Then we've been going through our fall fellowship series, we're going through first, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're in the second month of that. Welcome to November, huh? Yeah. So if you're not ready for this season, let me tell you what's going to happen we've got 4 weeks here in 1 uh, John. We've got uh, we're going to cover a lot today, cover a ton of ground today and then we've got the last chapter in 1 John next week. The week after that, we're doing 2 John, the week after that, we're doing 3 John and then it's Christmas time. We're in December. Right. 5 weeks after that, we're in 2019. So buckle up, it's almost done. This is it. So we've been going through it and I uh, normally my MO as I'm preparing a sermon is I just read the word a lot. I just read that chapter, that selection of the word, because I don't want, uh, I know that I'm a loud, excitable, persuasive person, and I don't want my words and my excitement to be what settles. Because at the end of the day, if you've listened to 150, 200, 300 sermons in your life, you could probably tell me about five of them off the top of your head, because these things can come and go pretty quickly. But the word of God lasts forever. So what I want to do is make sure that we're not just presenting excitable ideas and cool, motivational thoughts, but we're talking about the word of God. And so we Sit and we read through that and we rest and we say, What is the word actually saying? Because the word is the star, right? And uh, this week, last night in particular, I got really moved to say, Man, there is a message in 1 John that is emphasized over and over and over that I don't feel like we've hit hard enough. That I feel like as a body, me personally, that I can't under emphasize. So we want to be sure and hit it today. So, We're going to be trekking through all of 1 John up to this point today, um, but it's not going to take two hours or anything, maybe like an hour and a half, but we're going to put, I'm just kidding, but we're going to push through some things because one of the things that John is so concerned with that he's been emphasizing over and over and over is what is authentic faith? What is genuine faith? He emphasizes subtly all the ways that are counterfeit, that are fake, that are phonies, that are phony baloney things that aren't real, but then he also emphasizes what is truth, what is real, and so what I want to talk about today is kind of um, go through the narrative, go through what John is telling us in his letter and say, hey, what does authentic faith look like, right? Because we live in a culture full of counterfeit things, and we're going to be hitting that on and off, but we live in a culture where um, uh, 75% of America proclaims Christianity. 75% of us uh, in America say we are Christians. What percent of those people actually go to church? What percentage of those people actually live as Christ lived? What does it really mean to be a Christian? In John's day, it was a similar issue. People are proclaiming things that they weren't actually following. No one likes hypocrites, no one likes counterfeits, and so John is calling us towards authentic faith, and I think that's an important thing for us to go through. So we're going to be hitting a lot of scripture today. So I encourage you To open your Bible to 1 John, because I'm gonna go through it, each chapter. We're gonna hit some verses in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. uh, Pushing out this idea, what is authentic, genuine faith? If you don't have a Bible, right? There's Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. Um, If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. But I would encourage you to get in the word. Again, I can't emphasize this enough. These are God's words. So God has put you here today for a reason, because nothing happens by accident. He hasn't put you here to be coerced by my incredible speaking skills and how funny and loud I am. That's not why God put you here. God put you here to be transformed by his word. And so get out your Bible, follow his words, because these are the words of God. This is the the God who created all things. This is his words to you today. We're going to read them, all right? John is very concerned with what it looks like to be an authentic believer, and John wants to call out how we tend to do this thing where we uh, deceive ourselves, we manipulate ourselves. Hear me. No one lies to you more than you. We all live in this tension of constant over-emphasizing certain lies. We're on one side of the fence that says, I am the most awesome person in the world. No one is as tall as me, no one is as strong as me, everyone is beneath me, my parking spots. I can turn on my hazard lights and park in handicapped, although I'm not handicapped, because I'm important. Everyone get beneath me because I am awesome. I do awesome things. But then we follow this other side of the fence that says, woe is me, I am scum, I am a worm. Everyone is above me. I will eke through this life and somehow survive in eternity, but there'll be no padding on my chair in eternity because I am scum. I am a scalawag. We live in these two extremes, and you might be sitting there like, man, why are you using word accent? Why are you emphasizing this? But you, you live there. You call it out. At some point this week, you've thought too much of yourself and lied to yourself that you're awesome, or you've thought too less of yourself and lied to yourself to say, I'm not good enough. I'm the scum of the world. No one loves me. I can never be good enough. Try harder. Do more. Pray more. And it's exhausting, and it kills you. Right? And so John wants to cut through that and say, what is authentic? So we're going to start going through it. A couple weeks ago, we looked in John chapter one. You can turn there now. John chapter one, starting in verse seven. John calls out, what is light versus darkness? What is truth versus what is a lie? John says, verse seven, We've all sinned. That's the truth. We've all sinned. We're all sinners, right? And we talked a couple weeks ago about how John wants to have a posture of confession because when we corporately confess, we acknowledge as a body our need for Jesus. When we individually confess to each other, we recognize how we're all humble and we need Christ above all things. Nothing else can substitute, nothing else can take the place of Jesus. We need Him, right? And so we have a constant posture of confession. Why? Because we're sinners. And John says if you claim to not have sin, if sin isn't a reality in your life, if you have hypothetical sin, you have a hypothetical savior. John says, no, 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 you're a real sinner and you need real confession because we have a real savior. And if you claim to not have sin, you're a liar, right? John doesn't want you to have this counterfeit false idea of what it means to be a believer. He goes on in chapter two, he reminds us about knowledge of truth versus liars. Again, what is counterfeit here? If you look in chapter two, verse four, John says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, may, uh, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We walk in truth and truly know him if we live as he lived. That's that's kind of a duh statement if you're a believer, right? Of course you would live like Christ, but why? Have you ever considered that Jesus was God? Jesus, John tells us, was there from the beginning, everything was created, therefore the smartest person that's ever lived, the best person that's ever loved, the most wise person that's ever existed, the best human to ever exist, is Jesus. Not Mother Teresa, not, not Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, not any of these other important people I can't, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, not any of these cool people I can think of off the top of my head. Jesus Christ is the best person to ever live. So of course we'd want to imitate him. And John again cuts through what is true knowledge, what is truly following Christ versus um, being something fake versus being something inauthentic or veneer. John says, well, you walk and you live like him. And of course we would. If God has given us his word and we can agree that Jesus is God, then anything Jesus did is the best thing we could ever do read that day. The most important thing we ever read that day. I used to push the kids in the dorm who would talk about struggling with living, uh, reading the word every day. Man, I just struggled to get in the word. And we'd emphasize, well, why? Let's talk about the vision for the word. If this is God's words to us, if this is really true, then of course we'd be reading those things. Why would we read self-help books? Why would we we read all these things that aren't eternally true? Because they're going to pass away, as we'll see here in a second. Jesus lasts forever. Jesus is true. And so if we want to be like Christ, if we want to live in truth, then we'll abide in him. We'll live as he lived. And we can only do that through reading his scriptures there's uh there's this analogy that, that I, I like to tell uh i think i've said it to the youth a few times or maybe i haven't maybe it's their first time but um if i stood up here right now i said guys i gotta tell you this great story it's a sermon analogy here it comes uh i was driving down uh 54 today and i just uh this semi truck crossed the median and just hit me head on going 75 miles per hour it happened about 7 a.m this morning i mean he just creamed me. my cars totaled but everything's fine no one here would believe me you would all sit there and be like You're a liar. Where's the punchline? You didn't give it? No, no, guys, my car's totaled. It's not here, but but I'm fine. No, no, no. If I got hit by a truck, -truck, semi-truck, 18-wheeler, anyone ever driven one of those things? Right? They're monsters, right? If you've ever been close to one on the highway and shaking, you think, man, if this thing touches me at all, I'm dead. I could not pretend right now to tell you that I was hit by a truck this morning. If I got hit by a truck, my life would be changed. Everything would be changed. So it is those who are in Christ. If you walk with Christ, if you know Christ, you're being transformed by Him. You're walking as He walked. We can't have this veneer of saying, "Ah, I know Christ, but I'm not living as him, I'm not following him, I'm not doing the things he did. Because if you're hit by a truck, everything in your life's changed. If you know Jesus, you're being transformed by who he is. And again, John wants to say, this is authentic, this is what it means to follow Christ. Later on in chapter two, John points out the world versus the things of the Father. He really wants to emphasize again, what does it mean to be followers of Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ, children of God? Chapter two, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We talked about love. We talked about how love is two things. Who remembers? That's right. Thank you, wife. Um, love is commitment and sacrifice. I can't drill that into you enough. If you remember anything that we've said over the last couple of weeks, love is commitment and sacrifice. Why? Why is that important? Because we all have relationships that are broken. We all have situations that are terrible that crush us because we've misinterpreted love. More on that in a minute. I can't dive into that right now. We'll get there. But love is commitment and sacrifice. And John wants to pr- uh, doesn't want us to pretend that we have the love of the Father in us if we love the world. We all love to shine. We all love the exciting things of the world we want the exciting new things give me the stuff I want to have the most updated this and that I want my bodily uh, desires to be satisfied we want these things of the world and John cuts through that again and says these things are from your father they're not from your father, implying there are certainly things from your father. Any of us who are parents would certainly get this, that our kids do things, we say, no, this is not of us. We know better for you. And John's pleading with us, these things aren't from your father. The things that are from your father are eternal, right? They're those things that which we abide with him and we live forever. John's plea is for authentic love for the father, not love for the world, not these things that are all passing away. Chapter three emphasizes this Father's love. If you go to chapter three, verse one, he says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So the things of the world that are passing away, but the Father who loves you says, no, 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 you're children of me. If you abide in me, if you're in me, then you get to abide forever. This is the love that God has for you, that you could be called children of God. Maybe you've never heard that today, but the Father loves you and he wants a relationship with you. Even if you're a pretender, even if you're a phony baloney. God says, I love you too much to let you sit here and pretend. All right, here's the truth. I love you and I want to abide with you. Come on, come to me. Verse seven, John wants us to know what does it mean to be a child of God. Um, again, he's authentically, how are we really falling? Don't, don't deceive yourselves, don't be counterfeit. What does it mean to be a child of God? Verse seven of chapter three, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let that verse sink in. I'm going to say it again. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. All these things that are passing away, these things that are weighing over you, these things that are in your life that you say, man, these insecurities, all these things make me feel awful, things that make me not want to live anymore, Jesus came to destroy those things. Those are from the works of the devil. Read on. What does he say? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Verse 9 "'For God's seed abides in him, "'and he cannot keep on sinning because "'because he has been born of God.'" The practice of sin—we talked about this. Uh, Adam Moss covered this. The practice of sin is a committed trajectory. It's a—it's a—a uh, practice. You know, practice makes perfect. And if you have apathetic sin that you're just uh, pursuing in life, that you don't care about, then you've got to start wondering. Wait a minute, what does it mean for me to really follow Christ if I'm not really living like Him? I don't want to keep planting the seed of doubt in you, unless it needs to be planted. Because there is real faith, there is authentic faith, and then there's this cultural hereditary veneer that we put up as. Western 21st century Christians that says, ah, 75% of us are Christians, but we're not actually. And God would say, John makes a point to say, what does it actually mean to be a child of God? John doesn't want us to have this idea, and if you have this perpetual sin in your life, if you aren't putting Christ first, you're letting things go, you have this affair, you have this uh, um, uh, constant jerkness that comes out of you, you treat people terribly, you, you want everything for yourself, you don't care about other people, and there's no desire in you to have that changed. You might not know the Father because those things aren't from your Father right? Athletes. uh, If anyone knows an athlete, if you are an athlete, if you've coached an athlete, uh, if you know sports ball in general, the reason we uh, hail these athletes is because they are good at what they do, right? Practice makes perfect. Actually, perfect practice makes perfect. Don't be confused. But athletes work hard to be good at what they do, right? And of course, athletes still make mistakes, but they have a constant trajectory of being a professional athlete, right? They're not okay with constantly missing the ball or constantly throwing Mm going Whatever you call it when you throw a bad ball, what is that called? You throw a the goose egg? I don't know. I'm clearly a sports guy. CrossFit when you drop the bar over and over and over, right? Um, if you keep messing up in your sport as an athlete, you still strive to be better. You work harder and harder at it. So it is with those who are in Christ. When when uh, John's talking about this practice of sinning, he's saying that those who don't care at all that they're sinning, they just continue to live in these things. They're not interested in faith. They're letting those things pass away. They can't be of the Father. They can't be children of God and again John's calling us he's reading our mail he's saying hey is this you is this something you're missing out on here because so it is with athletes who constantly have a trajectory to be good athletes we should be having a trajectory in our life to live as Christ lived to be transformed by Christ those things we should be seeing John's not saying you'll never sin Hear that, because that's sometimes how we misinterpret this. John's not saying if you're a Christian, you're never sinning. Sorry. No, no, no. John's saying that you're avoiding the practice of sin. I still sin. You still sin. I still have this rude, over-dominant attitude towards my kids sometimes. I still crush my wife with words I like get angry. I still want to purchase foolish things and, and, and obtain and hoard. Do these sinful things. But I know that Jesus is king, and I know that he's redeeming me, and I'm not that same man that I was a year ago, and thank God I'm not the man I was five, eight, nine, ten years ago, because Christ is transforming me. And, and John covers that in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. If you, if you go back, because you're still sinning, John says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If you're in Christ, you may still sin, but you have an advocate. You have Jesus Christ and you abide in him and you have a trajectory towards your life to be made as Christ is. Again, does is that, is that define who you are? Are you defined by Christ and trajecting towards life in him? Or is that something that you just don't practice? You don't care about that. That doesn't matter. Quit pretending. John calls us to. In chapter four, where we're going to land today, John is pushing authentic truth versus error. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week. I want to emphasize it. Chapter four, four, or four verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Everyone say Antichrist. Antichrist. We're gonna define that here in a minute. That's a big deal. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Sorry if that wrecks your eschatology. In the world already. Uh Uh-oh. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There is a spirit of truth. Maybe you haven't heard that before, and there's a spirit of error. There is absolute truth. In fact, God created a world full of beauty and absolute truth. Um, We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't want to overemphasize that philosophy, but if 2 plus 2 equals 4, 5 plus 5 equals 10, fire is always hot, ice is always cold, we have objective realities, and they point to an objective God. That's how we can later on say God is love. That's how we can say there's a spirit of truth and a spirit of error, right? It's possible that where you are in life right now, then your worldview is this big and it needs to be this big you think you've got everything figured out but you're missing the spirit of truth because you're so focused on the spirit of error and that humble pill is not something we want to swallow because we all don't want to admit that maybe the ground we live on is shaky but there is a spirit of truth and there is a spirit of error we have this idea that comes up um, with antichrist. We, we tend to read and think uh, in Revelation there's one antichrist that's coming and he's gonna rule, and, and we're not gonna talk about that right now, but Jesus talked about antichrist. Um, John talks about antichrist. The word antichrist, say it with me, antichrist. Yeah, antichrist doesn't mean like anti-freeze or anti-aging, it doesn't mean the opposite, right? That's not what the word means. The word means in place of in substitution of it's a very different world than how we pursue, uh, we normally perceive it here's why that matters there are a lot of errors in the world a lot of religions a lot of beliefs that are going to tell you that there are things aside from christ that will work for you scroll your facebook feed this afternoon you'll see it humanistic ideas that say just be good enough everyone's got a little good in them all roads lead to rome everyone's going to get into heaven love is for everyone everything's good don't worry about it right And John says, no, no, no. There's a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. If anyone is coming to you and saying that there is something else that is a substitute for Christ, that you need something other than Christ, if something besides Christ is making you satisfied, making you feel good, then it's not Christ. You're not a child of God. You don't know. There's a spirit of error there. Again, I'm so concerned about sowing seeds of doubt that no need to be there, but at the same time, I can't get past this. When I read 1 John, John's trying so hard to let us know this is true, and please don't sit there and believe that, that you're in Christ and things are fine if, you, if you're not walking in Christ, if you're not being transformed by him, if you're not following the spirit of truth, if you're not saying, Christ is the only thing that I need. Christ is the one who is a propitiation for my sin. He's the one that's redeemed me. I can't do anything apart from Christ, as John wrote in John 15. John says we have overcome these things because we are from God. That he is in us and he is greater uh, than the spirit of this world. Again, the world is passing away. John is so concerned that we're focused on the world and he's saying I love you so much, beloved. Don't believe in these things the world. They're not from your father, they're all passing away. All these false ways, all these things of error. Authentic faith. The last thing we see is John wants to push authentic love. I'm gonna camp here for a little bit. Uh, in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. I'm uh, going to read the rest of chapter 4 here. Listen to what he says about love. This is a big deal in our culture. Love. All of you have been loved or proclaimed that you love. We're all in love. Let's talk about what this love means. What is John going to say? What is authentic love? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. God is love. Say it with me. God is love. Man, John mentions that twice. We're gonna hit on that, but I wanna emphasize something else first because I think oftentimes we, we switch that around, uh, the counterfeit love. We redefine love. In fact, the cry of our culture today, the cry of cultures for many, many centuries, You uh, look at Venus, Aphrodite, um, love is God. So switch there. And some of us would actually leave this room and, and be okay with that phrase. Love is God. Everything's love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. In the... (laughs) In the name of love. That's actually a good song. I don't want to wreck that one. But love, everything is love. I wish I could think of more songs with love um, in it off the top of my head, but we did that a couple weeks ago. It's a different game. Love, we see it all around us. We call sexual partners what? Lovers. Oh, now sorry, redefining love again. Love is getting confused, right? We see it in music and movies and relationships. We strive after this feeling of warmth and satisfaction, fulfilled desire, and we call it love when we feel it gotta follow my heart i just woof, i just had lunch this last week with a buddy of mine whose who's wife's leaving him you know what she told him i don't love you anymore it's just not i just don't feel in love anymore come on like is that love you've, you've heard that before i talked about this a couple weeks ago we've all been hit by that idea i don't love you anymore or maybe we've said that ourselves it's a lie love is what commitment and sacrifice if someone's telling you that they don't love you, it's their choice to no longer commit and sacrifice, because you deserve to be loved based off of the love of God, because God is love. And when we twist this idea, we, we turn love into lust, and we make it our pursuit, then we say, love is God. And many awful things have been done all through history, because in the name of love, right? The Bible talks about the adulteress, and, and there's this fake idea of love, this idea that this is good enough for you, but it's all pleasure, it's all desire, it's all lust, and it ends in despair. It's not real. It's love that takes, love that takes. And true agape love, the love of God, God is love. That's a love that gives. It actually has the benefit in mind of the lover. That is the most important thing. What is important to you, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna pursue because God is love. This is commitment and sacrifice. The name of lust called love, many have been crushed and abused. This false love reduces love to this whimsical, self-serving, emotive swamp that's going nowhere, ever staying stagnant. We've all experienced this. You are maybe experiencing this right now. You're in a relationship where you don't really feel loved. You're not really loving others. You're selfish, you, you don't care, or you don't feel loved and you're hurt and you're crushed. We all know the swamp of the God of love that's not real. Say it with me, God is love. God is love. What is the cure for this? What does this look like? What is love? God. God is love. Uh, How do we know, or how do we see God's love? What does that look like? Well, John answers that. Um, Chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. God sent his son. Not that we loved him first, hear that, because you don't deserve love love God because you don't love God. If you're like me and you're a sinner, which John already said, we're all sinners, then we do things apart from God. We don't really want God. We don't really care about God. We're so easily deceived. We want the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. John's calling all this out in us, and God says this, uh, John says this is how we know love. God is love. Not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. And he sent his son his perfect son to come and die for us, to defeat Satan, sin, and death, so that we can abide with him, we can be forgiven, we can be loved. Everyone is searching for love. Many are claiming to give it, um, but many are often just crushed and abused by it. Love is commitment and sacrifice. It's meant to be given, it's not meant to be taken. Men, if you say that you love a woman but you're not treasuring her and cherishing her as the daughter of a king, and you're not willing to give her the security of love and commitment that she deserves in Christ because you're reflecting the love of God, then you don't love her. You lust after her, you're taking from her, you're crushing her. That's where your relationship's at. And I'm sorry to be that blunt with you, but I love you too much to let you pretend that you're loving someone. Ladies, hear me, young girls, gosh, if you're in the room, I tell the youth this a lot, or at least I hope that hear me say this. Don't let men come and woo you and say they love you because love isn't words. Love is action, and many girls, I've seen it myself, I've been the schmuck that crushes girls this way. You tell someone you love them, but you're not willing to reflect God is love, and you don't give them the security of commitment and sacrifice. You just keep taking from them. You keep taking from their money, their time, their body. That's not love, that's lust. God is love. Spouses, if you want your marriage to work, 50% of marriages are ending in divorce, Ah, 47% depending on the statistics you look at, they're all ending in divorce, they're all struggling. Why? Marriage councils will resoundingly say over and over and over, people don't know love. They don't understand love. We've made love into this selfish idea that I take, I receive. This is what I want. I don't love you anymore because I'm not feeling it anymore. If you want to have a better marriage, start by imitating Christ by sacrificing and committing to your spouse. Try to outdo them in love. That that doesn't mean everything's always going to work out. There are stories where, where spouses still leave and things still go awfully. But if you want to have a good marriage, it at least starts with the true love of God because the whole constitution of marriage that we have is based off of God and his love for us and the relationship he wants to have for us. Man, I'm getting fired up. But I don't... I don't want us to be manipulated or deceived by these things. I don't want us to be manipulated or deceived by truth, by love, because we live in a culture we are. Again, I I can't emphasize it enough. Scroll your Facebook feed this afternoon. Find opportunities where people are misinterpreting truth, misinterpreting love. Are they saying that truth is found in Jesus? Are they saying that truth or love is found in God? Because if they're not, then they're of the world, and those things are passing away. And God, instead of saying, go ahead and pass away, you don't care about me, I don't care about you, because I'm God. No, God says, I love you enough to send my son to die for you so that I can have a relationship with you, so I can abide with you. And I love you so much that I'm gonna give you my word that keeps emphasizing, don't live in this fake veneer of junk, this counterfeit, phony, baloney faith. This is what authentic faith is called to, and it's transformative, abundant life, as Jesus calls it, in Christ. As we we move to close today, I ask that everyone, if you could bow your head and close your eyes um, at this time. Uh, We'll probably dim the lights a little bit, but if everyone could bow their heads and close their eyes. We've covered a lot of ground this morning. Um, But the main thing is that there is authentic truth and there is authentic love. And we tend to deceive ourselves with lies. We manipulate ourselves. And I'm sure in a room this size, many of us are living in some sort of self-deception in various ways. I lived in self-deception this week. There are times I said, you're not good enough, David. You're not lovable. You can't, you can't, pull it off you're a fake these things that come over us and god is calling us towards authenticity in verse 18 john writes there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear god is love and there is no fear in love and love casts out fear god casts out fear what are you afraid of What is it in your life that is overthrowing God's love? What is preventing you from uh, committing your entire life to God, to abide with him forever, to have the things of the Father over the things of this world? What is God wanting to cast out in your life? Chapter five, John writes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe in Jesus? With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want us to to take time. Again, it's no accident that you're here. And I don't want to push these moments too much, but I also don't want us to be in, again, this posture where we come and we, we take from a sermon, we take from worship, and then we leave. We don't actually connect with the creator of all who's put you here for a reason. This isn't just another Sunday. This isn't just the Sunday before deer season or the Sunday before Monday where you've got that big thing at work that you're not looking forward to. This is God's time. And he's brought you here for a reason. And he's calling you out to say, hey, is there something counterfeit in your life? Is there something that's, that's not real? Do you, do you know me? Do you abide in me? Are you trajecting towards following me in abundant life? Or are you trajecting towards passing away with the world? Because God's brought you here to remind you of that love. If you're here today and you recognize the counterfeit things in your life. In fact, you recognize that you don't really know God, and that you wanna know God, and maybe you've lived in this cultural or hereditary Christianity, but it's not really transformed your life because you don't actually know the Father, and you're not following Him. If you're in that realm right now, and you feel God moving in your heart, that you need to set it all aside and say, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I wanna give my life today to Christ because I'm done with the patterns of this world. I want to abide with my Father. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you? If you, you feel led that you need to connect with God, you need to accept Christ. Thank you. In a moment, um, there's gonna be a time of prayer. If you're sitting there and God's moving that you need to know him, there's no specific magic words for this, but God says, if you cry out to me, you'll be saved. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he's your king, and so confess to him. Right now, cry out to God and say, God, I wanna step apart from this veneer, this fakeness, and I wanna, I wanna profess myself to you. I need you, you're my savior, you're my king. And if you're here right now and you've got counterfeit things that are going on in your life that are crushing you and the weight of the world is pulling you away from God and you want that to be changed, you want to know the Father, then we're one body, we're one faith, and we're here to help you, we're here to support you. Just as I can stand up here and confess my junk and know that there's going to be forgiveness and love and we can confess together and grow, then you can confess as well. We can come together and we can grow together in Christ. I would encourage you during this time of response to come and pray with these steps. Come pray with me. There'll be other other men that'll be around that can pray with you. There's something going on that you want to, to strip away that's not of Christ in your life. I'm gonna pray here in a moment for all of us, but I want us to not miss this time to connect with God because John is calling us towards authentic faith. And as I pray, God, what do you want me to talk to? these people that you've called me to shepherd this morning. I can't get past my mind remind everyone of what true authentic faith is because that's what the text tells us. That's what God's word is. You've seen it as we've gone through 1 John. So if God's moving in you right now, you take action on that because God's put you here for a reason. If God wants you to join the church, if God wants you to confess, we'll be up here to deal with that. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I pray right now that you would through the self-deceptions, the lies, the uh, spirit of error, all the things that we, we hold up, um, the ignorance that we might not even recognize we have, that you would break down those walls and that the power of your spirit would move. And no matter where we're at in, in our faith, whether we're struggling, we've never believed, we've believed forever, that you would speak to us and let us know what it looks like to genuinely follow you in 21st century America as those who would say, you're our king and we serve a king in a kingdom pray that you would speak to us right now and that if you're moving that we would take action on those things thank you for your love Father and we thank you that you love us enough to speak truth to us and that you put people in our lives to speak truth to us that might be hard and uncomfortable because that's what love is that's what genuine love is we thank you for that Amen as we stand and sing you take time to respond to God however he's leading you We'll be up here to talk, to pray.